Good morning, everyone. Am I on? I was like, there's a lot of you out there. No one said good morning to me. Make me feel some type of way. Good morning, everyone. Oh, there it is. All 10 of you, thanks for saying good morning. I feel loved now. <laughs> thanks, Philip. Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing our Advent series, uh, looking at what Jesus brings. As we've been talking about during this time of Advent, we said Advent again, for those of us who didn't grow up with this, the four Sundays before Christmas. Uh, it's a series, it's a time of waiting, of expectation, of celebration, of Christ's birth into our world. And what a beauty, what a joy that we have Emmanuel, who is God with us. We have the King of Heaven coming down to earth. We have the one who lived in radiance, taken on skin. We have the God of the universe becoming flesh and blood and coming into a time and space and moving into our neighborhood, which is what Eugene Peterson calls it. The early church, when they talked about Advent, celebrated Jesus' coming, but they also celebrated Jesus' second coming. And that for them was Advent, was a, a, a parousia or Adventus, and it talked about the return of the king. So they celebrated not only that Jesus comes in the form of a baby, but that one day Jesus will come again to take us home to glory. And Bernard of Clairvaux, who, who looked at this and said, yes, not only do we need to celebrate Jesus coming as a baby to save us, or Jesus coming as a king to save us, we need to celebrate Jesus coming today. That we are in need of Jesus. That when we accept Jesus, we walk with Jesus, we need Jesus to get the daily grace of get through today. So we need Jesus not only coming in the flesh as a baby or coming in glory as a king. We need Jesus in flesh now. We need Jesus in spirit now. We need Jesus for our daily grace. And what does this Emmanuel to God with us mean? Uh, uh, Rich Viotis, who's a, a multicultural church pastor in New York City of New Life Fellowship, he said it like this. He says, Jesus is God with us. Not God against us, not God apart from us, not God apathetic towards us. No, Jesus is God for us, God one of us, God empathetic towards us, God with us. That's what we celebrate at Advent. So this season, as we've been going through it, we've been saying, what does Jesus bring during this season? What are we waiting for? What are we excited about? What are we celebrating? What are we to take into the world? For hope, we were reminded that Jesus is the invitation. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is what we as a community not only need to hold on to, but to transmit to our world. That's the hope we are to bring. For peace, we simply said that Jesus is the one, our Christ, who's at home in us. What a blessing to think that the God of the universe now desires to rest in you. What a blessing to think that the God of the universe now desires to go through your words, your love, your actions, go through and lives through you. And for joy, we said that joy is not only the promise, but Jesus is the promise of God. Joy is not only the praise that we have, but Jesus is the one deserving of our praise because he's the practice that we do and he's the prototype. But what we're going to hold on to this morning is this idea of love. That hope, peace, and joy all rest in the love of God. And that the love that God desires to bring through the world to us, through us, is Jesus Christ. So as we ask this question, it'll be, what is the love that Jesus brings? And then the one we're always kind of tagging along is, what is the love that Jesus brings to my world through me? What is the love that Jesus brings? And what is the love that Jesus brings to our world through me? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 
I'll be reading verses 7 to 12, 1 John chapter 4, 7 to 12. And this passage actually goes to verse 21, but we'll do 13 to 21 on, on Christmas Eve. So make sure you come check us out. Um, I think we have two services, so hopefully you'll be there. But we're just going to focus on 7 to 12 this morning. Starting at verse 7, we read from John. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is a love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Let's pray together. Our Father, God, we thank you so much that you indeed, the God who so loves, sent your son as your love. That you sent him not only for us, not only for us here in Harrisburg or Pennsylvania or the United States or the world, but for all your people for all of time. We thank you that you so loved us, that you showed it by giving your son to us. Lord Jesus, our Christ, we thank you for leaving heaven to come to earth. We thank you for not only taking on skin, but walking these earthly road and showing us how to live and love to please God. We thank you for going to Calvary's tree. We thank you for being the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We thank you that your work was done, that you were raised from the dead, and that that same power that raised you from the dead is the same power that lives inside of us. We thank you that you have chosen us to transmit your love to the world as your witnesses as your co-workers, as your co-laborers, as the one who show your love to the world. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for reminding us and teaching us and illuminate all these things to us. We thank you for living not only inside us individually, but us as a community, for leading, for guiding us. And we thank you that we know that God is love because you know us. You live in us, you work through us, and you point us to Jesus, our Savior. In his name we pray, amen. As we think about how Jesus is God's love or how Jesus transmits this love, I was trying to remember my first Christmas memory. And like all things pre-nine years old, I had nothing. I was like, what was my first Christmas memory? I had nothing. So I did a bunch of research, which is basically involved asking my cousins. It's really grateful because I have this cousin's thread. And there's 150 of us on it, right? So there's nothing about Liberia that one of us won't have an answer to. So it's really great. Just don't do it when you're about to go to sleep, right? Because we're in all different parts of the world, and you ask a question, and it might be 7 o'clock here or 3 o'clock in the morning, and it just goes, do, 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 do. but it's a great resource. Now, what I learned about Advent in Liberia is that here in the U.S., for those of us who, who practice Advent, like HBIC, it's four weeks. In Liberia, we were like, well, that's too much. We're just going to make it one week, right? We're going to crutch it all into one week. And it's the week that includes Christmas. So whatever day the Christmas falls, that week in and around Christmas. Also, because Liberia is founded or at least partially founded by, by people like half of my family who were, you know, enslaved here in America, earned their freedom, went back home, there's a lot of American influence, right? Not always for the good, you know? So we have the trees and we have the lights and we celebrate by having family together. We don't go as wild as you do with presents, right? Like we just don't do that, right? We actually think Jesus is the gift. It's weird. 
weird, I know. Like, that's what we do, right? We don't really go and buy expensive presents. What we do is we buy food, lots of food, and we eat together, right? But the thing that's interesting about Liberia, not only is that USA light in that sense, but we have our own traditions, right? You have this, like, big, fat, red guy called Santa Claus. We didn't know who that was, right? But what we had was a guy called Old Man Beggar, who is exactly the opposite of Santa Claus, right? And Old Man Beggar would literally dress up, and you can find him in your neighborhood. You can find him on the streets, right? In every neighborhood, fight to be who's Old Man Beggar, because Old Man Beggar would literally come to your house, right? And would knock on your door and say, my Christmas is on you. And what that meant was that, like, if you were gracious and you loved God, you would not let this beggar go hungry. So it doesn't matter how many times he knocks on your door, you have to give him something, right? Like, old man beggar would say, my Christmas is on you. And then that kind of filtered through the generations now that, like, as a greeting to one another, when you see someone who's Liberian say, my Christmas is on you, and they try to say it to you first because... Literally, if they say that, you're supposed to give them something. Now, I'm telling you all that, that so I'm immune, right? Like, I'm immune, so you don't have to try to catch me. Like, if you say my Christmas is on you, it's just going to block off me. Like, it just doesn't work anymore, right? Like, I'm just telling you about my tradition and my culture, right? Don't, don't do that to me. But then I started thinking about, well, what was my first Christmas here? And I remember when I came to this country, right? Like, it was a lot of things that were different. Like, I always tell people this, and I think it's funny, but it's true. Like, one of the things that people are like, how was it transitioning from Africa? Like, what was it like? And I was like, actually, it was pretty much the same. The biggest difference was that white people were real. You know, like, it was just like, they really do exist, right? Like, wow, look at you, you're here, you know? Like, that was, that was the biggest transition for me. Like, people are just like, well, like, what? I'm like, no, we spoke English, you know? Like, we went to, like, everything was very much Americanized, at least in my setting. Like, what was real was y'all. Like, y'all just existed here. Like, that was, that was it, right? But some of the other changes for Christmas is, like, there was Santa, which I talked about, right? There was elves and Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, and Frosty, the snowman, and, and all these wonderful things. And, and again, there was this shift of, again, not necessarily Jesus being the gift, but I have to give gifts, right? Like, I have to buy the best present. There was a shift, and, and it wasn't just the materialism of America. It was just like, it was weird as an outsider, because like, what are you getting for Christmas? And I was like, wait, you get stuff for Christmas, right? And like, my, my parents were just like, man, this is messed up. Like, we, were, we slid by for nine years, right? For nine years, and this kid comes to America, he's supposed to get stuff now? This is weird, right? So that was a transition, But I remember, though, that as you kind of get involved into this culture, you get swooped into that, right? But I remember when I was a teenager, we had moved to Philadelphia. And I kind of forgotten that Christmas is supposed to be this focus on Jesus and Jesus is the gift. I remember that our our parent, our guardian, was was sick and she had a back injury and she couldn't work. And and I remember her sitting us down and saying, like, listen, this Christmas is going to be a little bit different. You know, like, we're going to go back to Liberian. We're just going to have food and celebrate as a family. Like, I'm sorry if you don't get anything. We just can't right now. And what was interesting is that, like, me and, you know, we weren't necessarily, like, mad about it. We are just like, well, I mean, if we don't have money, you know, like, it's not really a big deal. And it wasn't that big deal. And in fact, like, we thought nothing about it. We were just excited that we had two weeks off of school, right? Like, that's all we were. But it was a family at our church, who had basically taken me and uh, my brother Joe in, and they just loved us, right? And we necessarily didn't want to put our, that wasn't even about putting our family business out there. We didn't think it was weird that for Christmas we were getting nothing and we were just hanging out. Like, we just didn't care. Like, we were just like, we are good. But what was interesting is when this family found out, they were actually heartbroken. And we were just like, well, this is weird. We're good. Why are you not good? (laughs) You know, like, this is not like, this is weird. Like, what's going on here? But I remember them pulling us aside and saying, listen, We know you don't care about gifts, but we also know your kids. And we feel like for our Christmas, if you want, you can spend a couple days with us. And I don't remember what presents we got that year. You know, I don't remember what we 
did, really? But I remember like Maya Angelou says, right? She has this great quote where she's like, you know what? You're not gonna remember what was said and what was done, but you remember how they made you feel. And what that family, the Lone family made us feel was love. And it was a reminder to me all these years later that what Christmas is about is love. And it's not just the love that we just say or all the different kinds of love. It's the love that looks like Jesus. It's the love that looks like Jesus because that's what's God's gift to us. Not just that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, but that in this season, Jesus is this answer. Jesus is not just the reason for the season. Jesus is everything this is about. And not only that he comes, but that he has to keep coming through our love. And I remember last year when we talked about this, when we said, like, the heart of Christmas is love and, and Jesus is God's love for us, yes. But one of the ways we explained it last Christmas, we said, well, Jesus is God's love language to us. And I was kind of trying to make it uh, uh, appealable in our culture, right? In our culture, one of the famous ways we say is that, like, everyone gives and feels love differently, right? So you have these five love languages. For some people, it's words of affirmations, right? It's cards, it's calls, it's comments. Like, like my, my daughter, my five-year-old, man, if you say she does something, it's the most beautiful thing because she lights up. Like, you feel good for complimenting her. Like, you're just like, wow, honey, that's beautiful. She's like, mm, it's a beautiful one. And you're like, mm, that's great. You know, it's just, it's just words of affirmation. It's just amazing, right? Well, for some of us, it's quality time, right? It's not necessarily what you do. It's just being with one another, whether it's friends or family, just being and spending time together. For others of us, it's intentional, right? It's being intentional about serving one another, looking out for one another, service to one another. Now, for some of you, it's gifts, right? Like, I have one friend who it's like, if her husband doesn't get it perfectly right, she's not sure he loves her. And we're working on it. We're working on it. But, like, for her, like, that's the love language is gifts and giving gifts, right? And I will say she always gets better gifts than the husband, but that's another conversation, right? But for her, that's what it is. Now, for some of us, it's touch, right? Like, one of the things that's been hardest in this pandemic is that you just don't know if you hug people. Is that loud anymore, right? You just don't know if, like, you shake hands. Like, I'm at the door, and there's always an existential crisis. It's just like, do I shake your hand? What are we doing here? What do you want to do? Like, where are we going, right? Like, for some of us, that's our, 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 our physical touch, hugs, embraces, holding hands. That's how we give and feel loved. And we said we looked at all of those things, and that's beautiful. But the most beautiful way we give and receive love is Jesus. That's God's love's language to us. Well, what we're changing this morning is we're saying Jesus isn't just the language of how God loves us. Jesus is the answer of how God loves us. How is it that God's love comes into this world? Jesus. How is it that God's love is felt in this world? Jesus. How is it that, uh, who is it that we're supposed to tell this world about? Jesus. Why are we to love and how are we to love? Jesus. He's the ask, he's the answer, he's the appeal. And that's what John is talking about in 1 John 4. Now we cut it off at verse 12, but if you read from 7 to 21, you'll see that love is mentioned 19 times. Like if you read this passage, there's a lot of, like one time I wrote a paper on 1 Peter. It was the most brilliant paper anyone's ever written on 1 Peter. The most brilliant, right? Except it missed something really, really important by 1 Peter. It's a book about suffering, right? Like, it's a book about God's people suffering. And somehow I read that whole book, studied it for months, and missed all of that, right? And my teacher was just like, this would be the most perfect paper about Peter, except you missed the most important thing about the chapter, about every of it. And I was like, oh, I guess this will just have to be the second best paper ever about Peter, right? 
But it's hard to read 1 John 4, 7 to 21 when he talks about love 19 times in the span of 13 verses and not know that it's about love. Like that's what he's talking about. Even me, like I can't miss that part. But what's interesting is that while love is the focus, it's the kind of love that he talks about that's important. Because when we say love in our culture, we love many things. We love God. We love our spouse. We love, at least some of us, right? We love the church. We love this church. We love steak. And I hear a few of you even love kale, but I think you're lying. But I forgive you. We love burgers. Some of us love broccoli. Again, you might be lying. Like who wakes up in the morning and says, I can't wait to have broccoli. That's just you, but okay. We love the New York Mets. Okay, that's just me and a few lost souls, right? But we love laughter. We love making memories. We love this time of year. There's a lot of times that we use love, and it means a lot of different things. But what's fascinating to me is that in John 7 to 21, the 19 times it shows up in 13 verses, John's only talking about one kind of love. And it's unmistakable because if you read it in the Greek, time and time again, the only love he's talking about is agape. He never uses eros, which is like the love for a spouse, this out-of-control passion. He never uses philia, which is like friendship, like lasting, loyal friendship, like someone you've been with me, like, I've been friends since childhood, and 50 years later, we're still best friends, right? He never uses ludus, which is like when you dance the night away and you feel good, or, or for me, another example would be like my daughter Kennedy, when she plays with her dolls, like she lines them all up, it's like this playful love, right? Like we're like, well, it's playful to me, to her, it's serious, like they all have names and dreams, you know? But it's not even pragma, right? Which is like the mature love, right? You ever meet a couple who's been married for three decades and they just fit together? Like that's what pragma is. He never mentions that one. He never mentions storge, which is love for family, right? And he's talking about us being on God's family, but he never mentions storge. He never even mentions philatia, which is love of self. Now I have to pause here because the Greeks were brilliant. They said, you need to love yourself. But if you love yourself too much, you're a narcissist. Like that's not the kind of love we're talking about. But we're kind of talking about the kind of love that when God says, I love you, you don't say, I'm unlovable. It's the kind of love that when God says, I forgive you, you don't say, I'm unforgivable. It's the kind of love that when God says, welcome home, come home, my child, you don't say, well, I'm not ready. I got to clean myself up first. That's the kind of self-love it's talking about, the love that is found in God's love for you, not the narcissism, but the love that when God says you're enough, you believe it. When God says you're beautiful, you believe it. When God says you're mine, you believe it. When God says you belong to me, you believe it. That's the kind of self-love they're talking about. But time and time again, he only uses agape. Why? He had all these other words to pick with, right? Now, in English, it's very easy because we're like, love, 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 it's all the same, right? But in the Greek, he's only using agape, not eros, not philia, not ludas, not pragma, not storge, not philatia, only agape. Why? Before we get to that, I also want to point out something. Our passage begins, and the NIV kind of loses me here, to be honest, right? It begins in verse 7 by saying, dear friends, right? Again, in our context and culture, it's like, oh, look at John. He calls them his friends, right? In the older translations, you'll see the word beloved, right? What's beautiful about beloved is that the word in Greek is what? Agape toi. So it's not just that you're beloved. It's not just that like you're part of the in crew, but it was this idea that you're the ones who are loved by God with God's special love. 
That means a lot more than just my friends, right? Like you are the ones who are loved with God's special love. That's who you belong to. And in Spanish, for example, you might say hermanos, and you mean like a group of guys and girls, right? In Greek, you might say like agapitori, or in the old English, it might be brethren, and it's everyone together, right? But it's even deeper than that. It's not just a group. When he says friends here, the word is agapitori, which literally means you are the family of God. You are the ones that God loves with his special love. That's how he begins this passage. Before we even get into what love is, he says, listen, my friends. Listen, my beloved. Listen, God's beloved children who are loved with his special love. If that doesn't do something to you, you need to pinch yourself. But that's how John is greeting the church. And that's how God sees you as the ones I love with my special love. And I think that's beautiful. But then he goes into, and he has 18 more times, he uses this root word agape. Because agape and agapitor rest at the center. So we're the ones that God loved with his special love. But what is this agape love? It shows up a lot in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it shows up as hesed. And agape is really then, this love that God has for us with his special love is the basis of our relationship with God. What is agape love? It's love in action. It's love that's not just words, but love I feel, words I hold on to, words that shows you actually pouring love and light into my life. It's love that it's personal, meaning that God not only meets you where you are, but how you need to be loved. Whatever your love language is, the answer is not just Jesus, but how you need to feel loved, God will meet you there. Where you need to feel loved, God will meet you there. Another way, though, some theologians describe it is the pocket change love. I love this one, right? And I've, explained, I've used this before, but the idea here is, again, you make your budget, right? For some of us, you know, you have, like, a little bit, like, extra cash that's yours, you know? For some of us, that's enough to buy a car. For some of us, that's enough to buy an ice cream cone. That's not the point. The point is, whatever that little cash is left, right, that's yours to do whatever you want with, right? The feeling you get for buying that ice cream cone or buying that car, if you will, right? Like, that feeling you get is the kind of love that God has for us. Meaning that you're his special one, that when he loves you, that's how God feels about you. It's a love also, not just to us, but to all of us. Meaning the disadvantaged and the weak, God loves and makes home for them. It's a love that is God's unmerited favor towards his people. It's a love that's out of grace and mercy, not obligation. I think that's important because a lot of us think God's love is just automatic. Well, he's God, he has to love us. No, 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 he's God and he chooses to love you. There's a difference between he's God and he has to love me than he's God who's big and a mighty and chooses to love me. It's a love that's faithful, it's a love that's lasting loyalty. It's a love that's kindness and goodness. So when God says, I want you to love one another, it's not just that you say you love one another. It's not just that you love how you are loved. It's not just that you love in what you think is right. It's that you love as God loves. So the question becomes, if we are to love one another, how is our love in action? How is our love personal and meeting people where they're at? How is our love loving the disadvantaged, the weak, the orphans, the widows, the immigrants? How is our love unmerited favor, right? Loving people because they are gods and they're deserving of love. How is our love not out of obligation, but out of grace and mercy? How is our love faithful? How is our love lasting? How is our love kind, right? Ever since I was a kid, I always struggled with this idea of tough love. Right? Because the emphasis went on more on what? Tough. 
than it did on love, right? Like, I always struggle with that. I'm like, I get it. I get where you're coming from, but it doesn't really feel like love, right? Is our love kind? Is our love good? Because this is the love that God gives to us, but this is the love that God calls us to give to others. Love, then, John says, is how we know God. Because love is God giving Jesus to us. And again, this is not just about salvation, but it matters that we talk about salvation. Because the ultimate gift is Jesus coming to this earth. And that's how God shows his ultimate love. I love that when God thinks his highest love isn't how he makes you feel, isn't what gifts he's given you, isn't how he's blessed you, isn't how he's even been faithful. God says his greatest love to you is Jesus. And so God sends his son to leave heaven to come to earth, to, yes, walk the streets of earth, to show us then how to live in love that we can please God, to go to Calvary's tree. I know we're celebrating Christmas and feeling good about ourselves, but Jesus came to be our atoning sacrifice. That's the greatest love that God has for us. And after he died, God raises him from the dead. And before he goes to heaven, he says, now that I've loved you, go out and love others. Teach them everything I've taught you. And then he goes up to heaven and leaves us to finish the work. Love is God to us through Jesus, and love is what we give to others. So the question becomes, how am I giving love? How am I showing Jesus' love in action to the world around me? How am I personalizing this love and meeting people where they are? The disadvantaged, the weak in my circles, how are they feeling God's love because I'm there? Right? And I think that's one of the hardest things because God seems to keep reminding me if there's darkness that you want to complain about, complain. But when you get that off your chest, remember I call you the light. Remember, there's brokenness in this world. Complain about it. You should not be okay. I read a quote this week that says, like, if you're adjusted to how this world is right now, there's so many of us who are struggling with so many things about the world right now. We're like, why am I struggling? And this person said, if you're okay with how the world is right now, I need to ask you if you're really okay. Meaning that it's okay to be broken that the world is broken. It's okay to be hurting that the world is hurting. It's okay to feel lost when things are out of control, right? Like it's okay because if you're well adjusted, if you're sitting here this morning, it's like everything's perfect in the world and I'm good. Are you okay? But when we get back to this love, that's what Jesus wants us to transmit to others. And then I love that John, again, continues to build on this, right? We are to love one another the way God loves. Love is how we know God. You can't know God if you don't love the way God loves. And I think that's important, too, because it's not just about how I think you should be loved. It's how God loves is how I'm to love. And then he says, you know what? If you want to see God, you need to love like God. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us which you don't have to be a genius to say that if we don't love it one another, God does not live in us. That's not a big jump, right? If we love one another, God lives in us, meaning that if we don't love one another, God does not live in us. Merry Christmas. And if we love one another, not only does God live in us, but I love this thought, that God's love is made complete through your loving one another. When we love as God loves, we help our world see God. Like, that's why this is so important. 
That's why it's important to not just hold on to Jesus as God's gift, but to share and to love the way God loves. Because if you want this world to see Jesus, love like God loves. If you want this world to know Jesus, love like God loves. Because love reminds all of us that we belong to God, whether we're in the church or out, whether we're sitting in the pews or watching online. Love, God's love, reminds all of us that we belong to God. It reminds us when God says to Joshua and us, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It reminds us when we, like David, make our bed in hell or go up to the skies in heaven, that we cannot outrun God's love because God is there wherever we are. It reminds us like Jesus who says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. Love reminds us that we belong to God. Love reminds us when the psalmist says, God, you are my refuge and my strength. You are my rock and my salvation. You are the one I praise. Love reminds us that our praises Our praises are also songs of thanksgiving, that when we say praise God for his transformation, praise God I'm not who I used to be. Praise God I look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. Praise God for his saving me. Praise God for his carrying me. Praise God for his comforting me. Praise God for his using me. Our praises, our prayers, our psalms, our promises that we hold on to that reminds us that we belong to God. And I think the thing this week that I've really, really appreciated has been the simple idea that God loves, meets us where we are. There's some of us this morning who have our hands outstretched and asking God to love us, and God will meet us there. There's some of us this morning who are on our knees and in a fetal position emotionally because we don't know if we can make it through the next day, but God's love meets us there. There's some of us this morning who, though we have people all around us, we feel alone and no one really gets it, and God's love meets us there. Lisa Igram, who is um, an academic from Biola in California, said it like this, whether our arms are outstretched or our bodies are curled in sorrow, God's mercy and love and kindness comes to us in the midst of that challenge, that fear, that anxiety, that sorrow. God's mercy comes. I love that. That God's love is not dependent on how much faith you have right now. That God's love is not dependent on how open you are to God's love. That God's love is not dependent on your situation. That God's love is not dependent on what you feel. God's love is near and willing to welcome you back. I read a story about Thomas A. Dorsey this week, and I wanted to close with this. Because I thought this was a beautiful example of God's love meeting us where we are. If you don't know who Thomas A. Dorsey is, write his name down, Wikipedia him later. He is basically the father of gospel music, right? There was a time where even in a black church, we thought dancing and singing and clapping, we thought that was not good. We thought that was a lower form of praise. And I know none of us are in that, we don't track that way anymore, right? Like, but there was a time where Christians thought that was a lower form of praise, right? And Dorsey helped popularize that. In fact, you cannot be a gospel legend. Now, there's a lot of gospel stars, right? But you cannot be a gospel legend if you did not sit at the feet of Thomas Thomas A. Dorsey. Like, he is that important to the black church. He he revolutionized, I would say, not just the black church, but church music as a whole, right? Thomas A. Dorsey, legend. He's most well known for a song called Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Now, the story of this song is one of the most heartbreaking stories you'll ever hear. And it's a very good Christmas story. That was a joke. Dorsey grew up playing the blues. 
He grew up playing jazz. He was brilliant ever since he was a kid. In fact, the best way to make money back then was playing the Jews and the the jazz on the Chitlin circuit and going to the juke joints and playing all the back rooms and stuff. Ma Rainey, who started off as the mother of the blues, right? He played with her. This guy was a legend in that thing. He was a legend in that time. Everyone knew him. Everyone had a different nickname for him, but everyone knew Tom. And then he went through a point in life where he went through this medical illness. And in that medical illness, God met him where he was. And when God saved him, God transformed everything. And then Dorsey, when he gives his life to Jesus, realizes something. That I've been singing, singing the blues. I've been playing jazz. But when I look at the gospel, I see that God has a home for my blues. And God makes joy with my jazz. And he starts writing gospel music. And because he's so talented, he literally blows up as much as you can blow up. Churches are coming and calling him to do revivals. Everything's good. When he gets married to a, a lady named Nettie, and they, they bought an apartment in Chicago, and everything was going well. And in the last month of her first pregnancy, he gets a revival in St. Louis. He didn't want to go. didn't feel good about it in his spirit. And he says, you know what, though? I have a child on the way. You know, I can't turn this down. This is going to be a great opportunity for our family. It's great exposure. The money's good. We need to be able to save up. While he's in St. Louis at the revival, he gets a telegram, which, which for those of us who don't know, which is probably most of us, that's a text message in 1932. <laughs> you know, like, he gets a text message, right? And in this telegram, it simply said, your wife is dead. Come home. Needless to say, he couldn't finish the revival. So he slumps over home. And while he's going home, his wife had given birth to their child. And the child actually died before he could get back. And within 24 hours of leaving St. Louis, he has to think about burying his young wife and his now-born child. Needless to say, he slipped into all the pits of despair. He slipped into a depression that was so deep. He slipped into this darkness that he never thought he would get out of. But there were two things that sustained him. One, he had a community around him who loved the way God loves. And I'm not saying that we can solve all depressions. I'm just saying we can be a cushion by loving people who struggle. I'm not saying we can solve all the demons, but I am saying when we're actively loving them and pouring our love into them and and praying for them and lifting them up, that they can maybe, maybe just take that step. So he had this community around him that wrapped him in God's love. And the second thing that God used was a friend who was a professor at a local college. And this friend didn't try to tell him, don't be angry with God. This friend didn't try to tell him, like, you're wrong to be mad. This friend simply loved him and sat with him. And it was one day where they were at this local college, and Dorsey sees a piano. And he goes to the piano, and he just starts playing these, these tunes. And one of the things that's fascinating about gospel and all really Christian music, a lot of people are like, I love the hymns. They're so traditional. The hymns were like trap music. If you don't know what trap music is, Google it later, right? The hymns were literally like worldly, secular tunes that they would put God music to, right? And let it be like, ooh, that's a catchy tune. Let's put a Bible verse, you know, like church planting. But he had this tune in his head that he couldn't shake. And he starts playing the tune. And I love how he says, he says, I felt like a water was broken in heaven. And I felt like the drops of grace came in me. And he wrote these words, precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. 
I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. And that became his most popular song ever. It started off in this little church in Chicago, Pilgrim Baptist, and it's been covered by anyone who's anyone in black gospel music. Mahalia Jackson covered it. Nina Simone even covered it. Aretha Franklin owned it. I don't say she covered it, she owned it, right? Like when she did her version, I was like, okay, we quit. You win, Aretha. But I think the reason this song struck such a chord and it does for generations later, is because God met Dorsey where he was. He was broken, he was tired, he was worn, yet all he had to do was say, Lord, take my hand, and God was ready. And we think about God's love to us. It's beautiful that this week we remember Jesus coming as a baby. And it's beautiful that these four weeks we've been challenged to think about Jesus coming again in glory. And it's beautiful for us to think that when Jesus comes, he comes right now. But it's also beautiful for us to remember that wherever you are, whatever you're going through, all you have to say is, precious Lord, take my hand and our God will lead you home. Our God will lead you home. And the proof we have of this is Jesus, our Christ. That's our proof. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me home. God's love reminds us that we belong to God. So I don't know what promise you need this morning. Whether it's God saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always. I'm your refuge, I'm your strength. I'm the joy of your salvation. I am your rock. I am your savior, I am your mediator. Whatever promise you need to hold on to, or whatever praise you need to give to God, remember that God's love, that is Jesus, reminds you that you belong to God. And that love isn't just a feeling. It's a love that's an action. It's a love that's personal. It's a love that meets you in your weakness. It's a love that's not earned. It's a love that's out of grace and mercy. It's a love that's faithful and loyal. It's a love that's kind and good. That's the love that God loves us. That's the love we are to love the world. And that's the love that our world will see God. will see our Jesus. will be moved by the Holy Spirit. Amen? We're going to end our service this morning with communion. Pastor Carmen is going to be coming up to join me in the front. Hopefully, as you came in this morning, you received the communion elements. In the next moments, we'll be sharing in communion together, celebrating the new life that we have in Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take, partake the bread and the cup. We don't require that you're a member of the Harrison Brethren Christ Church, but we do require that you're a member of Jesus' church. Hopefully you've gotten, I think the deacons are in the back or Pastor Linda's in the back. If you need elements, you can go get them. I think that some of them are walking around. As you receive them, we, hope, we ask you, we'll, we'll be leading up front, so we'll give you those directions. Again, the table of the Lord is for all who believe, for all who have received Jesus Christ as Lord. Oh, I'm away for, I'll do this. Okay, you coming up? Okay. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may.
Come to testify, not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, blessed it, <laughs> broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, help us to remember the love you have for us. Help us to remember, God, that the reason why you came off your throne and down onto earth, Lord, is to have fellowship and a true relationship with us, God. That we be true worshipers of who you are, God. That we want to know you intimately, God. Help us to remember who you are in our lives. Magnify yourself in us. In Jesus' name, Lord. My brothers and sisters, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Take and eat this bread, remembering he was born to be our savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. same way after the supper he took the cup which in the Jewish Passover feast is called the cup of blessing and he told his disciples this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me let's pray together our father and our God we thank you so much for the blessing of your son Jesus Christ Lord Jesus we thank you for your blood that takes we who are far and brings us near that forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, that heals and restores us to where we deserve to be, not because of our own merit, but because of your love, that you have chosen us and that we thank you for this cup now, which represents the blood that was shed, the blood that unites us with God, the blood that unites us with one another, the blood that welcomes us home. Lord, bless us and keep us and help us to not only hold on to your love, but give your love to our world. In your name we pray, amen. same way we'll continue now with the responsive reading my sisters and brothers this cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ take this cup remembering that he said this is the blood, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins drink of it together and be thankful
I believe we have on the side, um, there's things that you can put them away and throw them away, or you can wait till the end of the service. Um, the worship team is up here. We'll have one last song. And as we sing this closing song, I'd like to invite all the other pastors who are in the room up front. We'd love to pray for you for anything you're going through or whatever you're experiencing. Um, if you are thinking of a way this week that you can show God's love to someone, we'd love to pray for you for that as well. But we pray that all of us are not only holding on to God's love this morning, but that we're willing to live it and share it out. So let's stand together and sing. benediction I was going to end with um, the promise that God makes in Exodus that the Lord bless you and keep you um, but as I was looking over my notes I was reminded by this prayer I shared last year um, it's from Angela Foligno who was this Italian tertiary nun which just means that she was married and then when she got saved she decided to give her, her life to Jesus and to follow Jesus fully she was a Franciscan monk so um, anyway that's a lot of technicalities basically she was married so she couldn't be a full nun but she still loved people so they allowed her to love people right um, but what I love is that she wasn't just this follower of God or, or a mystic but she was this beautiful writer and I thought this would be a perfect way to kind of, I almost made benediction a verb, I don't think I'm allowed to do that, to benedict us, you know, 
Sounds like a Greek movie. All right, I'm just going to read the prayer, so pray with me. And this is from Angela Foligno again. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, make us worthy to understand the profound mystery of your holy incarnation, which you have worked for our sake and for our salvation. Truly, there is nothing so great and wonderful as this, that you, my God, who are the creator of all things, should become a creature so that you, so that we can become like you, God. You have humbled yourself and made yourself small that we might be mighty. You have taken the form of a servant so that you might confer upon us a royal and divine beauty. You who are beyond our understanding have made yourself understandable to us in Jesus Christ. You who are the uncreated God have made yourself a creature for us. You who are the untouchable one have made yourself touchable to us through Jesus. You who are most high make us capable of understanding your amazing love and the wonderful things you have done for us. Make us able to understand the mystery of your incarnation, the mystery of your life, the mystery of your example, your teaching, the mystery of the cross, your suffering, the mystery of your resurrection and ascension. Blessed are you, O Lord Jesus, for coming to earth as a man. You were born that you might die, and in dying you might procure our salvation. O marvelous and indescribable love, in you is all sweetness and joy. To contemplate your love is to exalt the soul above the world and to enable it to abide alone in joy and rest in tranquility and peace. Lord, give us grace to understand your supreme love in creating and redeeming us, in choosing we humans from all eternity to attain a vision of yourself. Give us grace to understand your goodness in creating us with the gift of reason by which we perceive your glory in our own sin and fallenness and by which we are able to resist our nature which inclines us to sin. Lord, you have created us in your own likeness. You have clothed us with your light. O Supreme Being, help us to understand your love. For you yourself are love. All the angels and all the saints love you and contemplate you and gaze upon you. Lord, help us to worship you forever with our love. God bless you all. Merry Christmas. You sound really excited. Merry Christmas. All right, we'll take it. God bless you.